Good morning. How's everybody? Let's stand up, if you would. Uh, join me, and we'll just pray, and we'll get right into the message. How's everybody feeling? Good. It's good to see all of you. Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace. Holy Spirit, I just invite you to come and let your presence settle upon this place, upon the hearts and the minds of everyone that's listening, upon me and upon this message, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Um, so we're in a, a bit of a shift <laughs> as, as a ministry, uh, and I, I, I keep trying to figure out how to land the plane. <laughs> Like, like, where's the destination? Like, we were here, like we were in Dallas, and we headed off for Atlanta, and somewhere along the way, I think, uh, the winds shifted course, and we started moving towards Pittsburgh, and <laughs> every time I think I know the direction that we're going and landing, it seems like different insights keep coming. To me, that uh, I just feel so strongly about, and I believe that's coming from the input of the Spirit of God into my life. Now, you probably see things differently. One of the things I love to hear from people, I love to hear this. People contact me on Facebook, or they, they tell me this in conversations. I don't agree with everything you say. Oh, thank God. I mean, now we have a place to begin having a conversation. (laughs) because honest to God, this is the honest to God truth. I am passionate about what I think. I am passionate about what I believe, uh, passionate about God, passionate about people and different things. Uh, And I want to be persuasive because I think I'm right. (laughs) But I know that I've been wrong about a lot of stuff, and I know that I'm still in process, and I have let go of my need to convert your thinking to be like my thinking. So I love it when I hear people say, I don't agree with you on everything because I think the world needs to see some kind of a demonstration among those of us who call ourselves Christians, who call ourselves believers, that we are able to come together in spite of our differences and and because of our similarities and, and not make idols out of doctrines so that we are dividing because of ideas. So I think it's a wonderful thing. Now... Having said that, I I just have some reasons. And this isn't a new thing at all. This is just, I'm finally disclosing this. I have been concerned for some time about the mental and emotional health of people in the the body of Christ. And I'm not talking about just ordinary mental health issues. Now, here's the thing about mental health. Your brain... Now, how many, let's just do this very basically, all right? Because some people need help with this. Because I still get chastised by zealots for saying this kind of stuff. But can we agree that your brain is involved in your thinking? Can we agree that your brain is involved in your emotional processes? Are you sure? Right? Is the brain an organ in the body? Is it possible for organs in the body to become diseased? To not work right? Okay, that is mental illness. Seriously, I mean, you can have high blood pressure. That can be a heart problem. You can have diabetes, can be a pancreas problem, whatever. 
We recognize diseases, kidney disease, whatever, right? Brain disease. When I'm talking about mental health in a church, I'm not talking about people who, oh, I'm just going to say it, have the excuse that the organ is not working. <laughs> I'm not talking about that. I mean, you can, you can be bipolar, which means you, your, your moods, your brain is affecting your moods. You can have depression that originates from the brain, which means you have no circumstantial reason to be depressed. You're just depressed all the time. You can be anxious and you can take medication and there's treatments and stuff for that. And that's just general mental health across the board, right? But then there are thoughts and ideas and beliefs that we can develop patterns of thinking and feeling that we can develop that become habits that are unhealthy, <laughs> right? If, if you are a person who hates yourself, if you hate yourself and you're always hating on yourself and you're always thinking about what's wrong with you and you're always beating yourself up, that is not mentally healthy, that has nothing to do with your brain. It has to do with your choice to use your mind because I separate the two. They're involved, they're interactive, but they're not the same. I can picture anything. I can picture a beach scene and the water coming in and they can cut open my head, they'll never find a beach. <laughs> right? Am I right? Because you can't identify the mind. It's not a physical reality. All right. So what I'm concerned about is how our belief system as believers can become toxic and harmful. And so one of the things that I would like to see us do is create, and I believe this is part of what God has called us to do, is to create models that are healthy. <laughs> Examples that are healthy. Teaching that is healthy and helpful and sets people free and empowers them, right? And and then to become, when we first started uh, out with ministry in Pueblo, uh, some of the things that I felt the Spirit of God spoke to us was that we were to be a place of refuge, that we were to be a healing community, that we were to empower people, spirit, soul, and body, and all that great stuff, right? And we've kind of been on this journey. And But, but, but part of the problem is that a lot of our paradigm was still unhealthy. A lot of our paradigm was still toxic. And how do I know that? Because I was living it. You've heard my testimony how a few years ago I was I was burnt out, I was frustrated, I was dealing with all kinds of, of just stuff inside myself. I get away, I go into therapy, and while I'm working with a the therapist, I realize that I have this sort of distorted and toxic view of who God is. And the moment I surrendered that pattern, the moment I surrendered that imagination... And gave it up. That's what I mean by surrendered it. I just gave it up. It's not like that. This isn't real. This, 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 this thing that I believe about God isn't real. Immediately, all the engines inside my mind turned off. Immediately, I got over being, uh, uh, so edgy and so anxious. And it was like there's this abiding sense of peace. And I remember, uh, actually manifesting the fruit of the Spirit. Not trying to. Like you don't have to make fruit grow. It's just there. Right? And I remember just sitting there and scratching my head and thinking, I cannot believe that my problem, that some of the stuff that I've struggled with my entire life, 
that I tried to rid my personality of, that I wrestled against, had nothing to do with having, with my upbringing in terms of the things, the dysfunctions maybe that my mom brought, had nothing to do with the dysfunctions that my dad brought, had nothing to do with being picked on on the playground or some teacher someplace or all this other stuff. It was my belief about God that was making me sick. It was my religion. It was what I turned to for the answer that was actually causing the sickness. We don't want to think like that. We, we, I mean, it's very, very hard. And that's, that's the problem. You can't convince somebody <laughs> that thinks they're right that what they're actually taking that they think is medicine is actually poison. It takes an awakening. <laughs> but what we can do is provide a place for people who are awakening. <laughs> we can provide a place of refuge. We can provide a place to say, yes, we were once there too, but thank God we're not there anymore. Here's where we're at now. Here's what we have now. And hopefully somehow we can help you and assist you along the way in your journey to wholeness. I think that would be a wonderful purpose, a wonderful mission, don't you? Yes. Having said that, I want to invite you to look at two texts from the New Testament. I want to look at... Uh, let's just do it in the order they come in the Bible. Let's look at Acts chapter 10. Acts of the Apostles chapter 10. Verse 9. It says, about noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the rooftop to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time and says, watch this. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times and immediately the sheet was taken back up to heaven. And while Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. And they called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. And while Peter was still thinking about these things, about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. And Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? And the men said, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house, that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men to his house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them. Some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up and says, stand up. He said, I am only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. And he said to them, watch this. Listen to this carefully. You are well aware that it is against our law. For a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call 
anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? And Cornelius said, three days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour. At three in the afternoon, suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to poor. Sent to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest at the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good for you to come. Now... We are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. And when Peter began to speak, he said, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and the one who does what is right. This text is telling the story of how the gospel went to the Gentiles. Up until that time, it had been only being preached to Jewish people. This is the original gospel message. This is the original gospel crusade. You could say it's the archetype. And it flies in the face of most of our preaching today. And most of our thinking about evangelism today. Because Peter says, first of all, he's doing something that's against the Jewish law, which means it's against the scriptures. If he'd have used the, the, the standard of measurement for spiritual experiences by saying, it has to be scriptural, brother. Don't accept anything that con, don't accept anything you get in a vision or, or an angel or anything that's contrary to the written word of God. Peter would have gone down and eaten. And if the men would have showed up, he said, oh my God, it was the devil deceiving me, trying to get me to go be with those people over there. That's our first problem. (laughs) Our second problem is, he says, God showed me, listen to this, that I should not call anyone, anyone, impure or unclean. That's my second problem. And then my third problem is this, God has shown me of a truth that he accepts from every nation people who fear him or worship him and do what is right. Hmm. Now, let's give it a little cultural context, shall we? Because people from every nation, you, you got to understand, we, we live in a monotheistic time, a time that believes in one God. But this was not so in the ancient world. In the ancient world, uh, the, the message of the Jews that there was one God was, they were the only ones who believed that. Everybody else was worshipping many gods. To be a Gentile was to have many gods, and I, I don't know how to tell you this, but in the Roman culture, you not only had national gods that you had to pay homage to, in order to be in good standing with the state. You also had local gods in the city that you had to be in homage to. And you had household gods that as a son, you were obligated to continue generational service to the household gods. There is no way that Cornelius could be be a centurion and be in good standing with Rome without paying homage to Roman gods to local gods and following household gods. 
It's not possible. Yet somehow, God hears his prayers, honors his good deeds, and communes with the man. Let's see culturally what they thought about Gentiles. Come with me to Romans chapter 1. Verse 21. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for the images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Are you, are you breathing? Therefore, God gave them over in sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. Now, notice he does not tell you specifically how they were doing this. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. He doesn't tell you what they are. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. No idea what those unnatural ones were. You have to fill in the blank on your own. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts. Again, you don't know what the shameful acts were. Shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, since God did not think it worthwhile, or since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind. So that they would do what ought not be done. They've become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossip, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. That, my friends, was the contemporary Jewish view of the Gentile world. In the time of Christ. In the time of the apostles. Now, I know we've been taught to think that Paul actually agrees with all of that. But he was the apostle to the Gentiles. The truth of the matter is that Paul is using a style of communication that's called rhetoric that was very common in the ancient Greco-Roman world, where you would explain the argument of your opponent and you would enter into it in a form of rapport. And then you would turn around and blast them with the same argument. If you read Romans chapters 1, 2, and 3, you find out this is exactly what Paul is doing. He goes through this whole list with his Jewish audience of all the horrible things that the Gentiles are doing. He's affirming the Jewish view of the Gentiles. And then when you get to Romans 2, he says, and you being a Jew, do the same things. And then he starts laying into the Jews. You have to understand the thought, but see, we can't do that because most of us aren't taught how the Greco-Roman world operated. 
Scholars know these things, but it never makes it down to the person in the pew or chair or whatever. There's a reason they call them pews because religion stinks. But all right, that's dumb. Sorry, bad joke. So here's our problem. Peter, in Peter's mind, they are idolaters. They are sexually immoral. They're disgusting. They're doing all these things and they eat all this rotten food. And it's absolutely by Jewish law forbidden for us to have any contact association or even visit the Gentiles. Now, God could have told him, I want to save those people. I want to convert those people. I want to turn them from their wicked ways. I want them to repent. Yes, Peter, you are right. You have the right way. You have the truth. This would have been more in accordance with Jewish beliefs and with the scriptures. And you must go and convert them to the God of Israel. Peter would have had no problem with that because it was common in the day for the Jews. Remember Jesus said to the Pharisees, you travel earth and sea for one convert? Well, who was he converting? They weren't converting other Jews. They were getting Gentiles, adult Gentiles, no less, to become circumcised. And women were left out altogether. But that's not what God said. God told him to do something that not only violated his tradition, but violated the law of God and violated the scriptures. And he says, kill any, because you should not call anyone impure or unclean. And then he starts out, God does not show favoritism. To you, that just means God, God didn't bless Sister Sally over there and not going to bless you. In the Greco-Roman world, it meant God does not favor the Jews. But accepts people from every nation. Wait a minute. I thought they had to come in through praying the sinner's prayer. I thought they had to come in through believing in Jesus. I thought they had to come in all these other different ways. But you find none of that in the text. And the entire foundation of Western theological stuff since the time of St. Augustine, reinforced by the Catholic Church, reinforced by uh, the, the Reformers, is the idea that everybody is born in original sin. That's how a prominent minister in this city can stand up at an FCA meeting and say... Teenagers, I want you to know that God, that you were born, I want you to know that you were born dirty, rotten sinners and you are headed straight to hell and a Christless eternity. Gang, that is a violation of the scriptures because God told Peter when he went to preach to the Gentiles, do not call anyone impure or unclean. See, if you believe that you are inherently wrong, if you believe that you are inherently evil, that you were created with an evil nature or a sinful nature, or you were born bad, or you were born in opposition to God, you immediately begin to be at war with yourself. You can't trust yourself. Oh no, brother, the heart is deceitful and wicked above all things. Who can trust it? You cannot trust yourself. And if you're rotten to the core, then you know those people that you don't like. You know they're rotten to the core. So if they're rotten to the core, if they're just as rotten as you're rotten, then you can't trust them either. 
And the whole economy, the whole concept of relationship with God is built on some kind of transactional religion whereby we try to get better than who we were born to be because we were born bad. And we will get on the Catholics because they believe if you pray over the bread and over the cup, that it changes the nature of it so that it becomes the body and the blood of Christ. And we'll say, that's ridiculous, that's superstition, it doesn't become the body and blood. And wars, literally wars have been fought over this. Because you can't pray a prayer and change the essential nature of bread and wine. But then we will invite you to come down to the front. Watch this, watch this. We'll invite you to come down to the front. I mean, that preacher didn't leave the the kids there. He he didn't say you're born dirty, rotten sinners on your way to hell. He said, I've got an answer for you. I've got an antidote for you. Jesus Christ loves you. Jesus Christ died for you. Now come down and pray the prayer. Why? Because you can say a prayer over your own body and over your own blood and somehow magically change the nature of it. How come the priest can't change the nature of a bread, of of something that doesn't have will to go against God to make it the body and blood of the Lord? But you can pray a prayer about yourself and somehow now magically you're no longer a part of that dirty, rotten, sinful crowd. Now magically you've become the body and blood of the Lord. You're in the body of Christ now. Oh, I'm preaching a whole lot better than you're receiving it. See, this scripture invites us to take a look at our own prejudices. It invites us to take a look at what group of people have we demonized. Who are we calling impure out there? Who's impure out there? Who is? I mean, the one group that we go after consistently, and this is why I picked Romans chapter 1, because the one group that we consistently go after is 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 the LBGTQ plus whatever community. (sighs) I don't know if it's plus or plus plus or whatever. Absolutely. Fundamentalists go after them. And we quote our scriptures. But look, and we say, and we, and we say, and, and we, okay, do you know what to be impure means? To be impure means to be not qualified, not qualified for service in the temple. That's what it means. It's the truth. You're not qualified. That's why women, when you're, when you were in, in, in that time period, when you were having when your menstrual cycles, you were impure. You couldn't come to the synagogue. You couldn't come to the temple. Because God couldn't come into contact with that which was impure. Unclean. You had to go through a process of sanctification. If you were, if you had leprosy, you couldn't come because you were impure. You were unclean. If you, (laughs) here's one for you, the guys. If you had crushed testicles, you could not come. That's actually in your Bible. (laughs) That's actually in the book of Leviticus. If you had crushed testicles, I mean, if ever there was a time a man needed God. And there it is in the Word of God says you cannot come. (laughs) 
God is literally telling Peter, when you look at those heathens, those sexual fornicators, those homosexuals, those ones that are doing shameful things with their bodies, the ones that are worshiping idols, worshiping reptiles, all that stuff, he said, don't call them impure. Don't say that God does not have fellowship with them. Don't say that God cannot anoint them. Do not say that God is not involved in their lives. Do not say that somehow they have to change. Because if God made them clean, who are we to call them impure? Man, if we could just live by this. What is your issue? What is your your thing that you struggle with? That you hate about yourself? What would happen if you adopted a belief that said, I can't call it impure. I can't call it unclean. And then what would happen if you shared that same grace with other people? Instead of discriminating and, and sifting through. And somebody, several people call me a heretic. <laughs> I love it. And I am. I am a heretic. You know, you can be a heretic in any field. When you disagree with the group consensus, you are outside the group, you are a heretic. That's actually the meaning of the word. But, but they're not describing you. They are trying to bully you. They are trying to intimidate you. They are trying to tell you somehow this matter has already been settled and you are wrong. I was watching on another friend's Facebook page where these big shots in seminary we're coming after a post. He just put a simple post. And this crazy world we live in. This is why I worry about the mental health of people in the church. Because <laughs> he puts a simple post, and these intellectual bullies show up on his page saying, well, the church condemned that as heresy and such and such crowd. You just need to know that what you're putting on your page is heresy. Now, this same guy who posted that is also a friend of mine, and then turns around... And tries to talk like a progressive Christian about social justice and the immigrants and how poorly everybody's being treated down by the border. So he's trying to triumph for human rights. And I, I, I had to laugh because I thought, do you realize when you call someone a heretic and you are on the side of orthodoxy, you are supporting a paradigm that is responsible for many, if not most, of the human atrocities committed in the Western world down through the centuries. And then turn around and lecture me on social justice. Do you even see how messed up that is? The people tell you that's heresy, that's not orthodox. I just want you to know that history is written by the winners and the textbook are written by the winners. And all those other people that lost, there's a reason they're not around today. And it's not just because they were wrong. It's because they were massacred and tortured and had their tongues cut out and their books burned. Do you realize this? So that the Bible can be used. Where's my Bible? So that the Bible can be used for torture. Do you realize John Calvin? John Calvin, the great reformer. He, 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 had, a, he had a man who was a heretic burned at the stake. Would that all heretics would perish the same way. 
I don't know why it matters what you believe, because according to John Calvin, God decided it all ahead of time anyway, so what did he care? But religion makes you think crazy. And illogically, and inconsistently. You guys look like I'm beating you up. I'm trying to set you free. (laughs) Why do people want to cling to these toxic beliefs and think they're medicine? Why do you want to believe you're rotten to the core? Why do you want to believe that your fellow human being is rotten to the core? Why? Why do you believe that just changing your mind about something and praying a prayer does some magical thing over a person that completely transforms their identity and makes them no longer a child of the devil but a child of God? That's what we say we believe. When you get outside that paradigm and you look at it, it doesn't even stand up to Scripture, but when you get outside of it, And you look at it, you're like, how did I ever think so crazy? Like, how did they ever get me to believe this stuff? How did they ever get me to buy into this stuff? How did they ever hijack my mind and my own thinking and my own critical thinking that I became part of this group consensus? So the Bible has been used. Listen, listen. Some of you are old enough to know this. You know that the Bible was used to, to support segregation. You know that it was used. Or did you forget that they said that that black people were under the curse of Ham? And meant to be slaves. You forget that there are scriptures in here that tell slaves to obey their masters. That were used in defense of slavery. You forget that under the law of God in this book, you were allowed to beat your slaves and even kill them if they were disobedient. And that book was held up to say we're only following the Word of God. You forget about the oppression and dehumanization and sexualizing of women in the church. You you forget about that can't hold a position of leadership in a in a marriage with an abusive husband you got to stay in that marriage you got to submit if you just submit and call him lord like abraham called called uh, i'm sorry abraham didn't call sarah lord <laughs> like sarah called abraham lord then god will sanctify the unbelieving husband through the believing wife churches all over america that use a verse that says women shall keep silent in the church and they don't practice that This is how crazy religious thinking, when you start calling something impure. Call someone impure because of the color of their skin. Call someone impure because of their social standing. Call someone impure because of their gender. This is how crazy it is. Say, you can't, you can't, you can't teach. You can teach Sunday school. You can greet. You can sing on the worship team. You can definitely do the potlucks. But you cannot teach or have authority over a man unless you have a covering which pushes all the single women and widows out. Because you know, the woman was deceived first. I mean, my God, there's still places that teach this stuff. They're not even following the scripture. It didn't say a woman couldn't teach. It said a woman had to be silent. She couldn't teach the kids. 
She can't greet. She can't sing. During the greeting, all the women have to sit there and mime it out. If you're being true to the Scriptures, but they'll actually stand up and use that verse to support their system. And we just sit there, I don't know, like little chicks in a nest waiting for their mom to spoon feed them, to tell them how to think and to tell them how to live. How is that possibly healthy? How is that possibly healthy? Women didn't even get the right to vote until what, 1920? In Christianized Western Europe and America, or America. Why? Why not until 1920? What is up with that? And they come to church and they get told how to dress, and they get told how to act, and they get told what to do. And heaven forbid, heaven forbid that you talk about the feminine aspects of God. Heaven forbid that I stand up and say, our mother who art in heaven. Oh my God, that's, that's paganism. And all my friends that believe in spiritual fathering, God bless you, but you have not progressed one iota in in anything until your church is talking about spiritual mothering as much as it's talking about spiritual fathering. Yes. I don't... Anyway, I'm going to leave that alone. It was used to justify the Crusades. It was used to justify wiping out Native Americans and enslaving the Japanese and the Chinese and, of course, the African Americans. Or the Africans or the black people, because not all of them identify as African American. All from this book. Because somehow we thought God could be contained in our group and our system. He can't move outside that. They're rotten to the core. They're headed straight to hell. They're idol worshippers. They're fornicators. They're homosexuals. They're whatever. Instead of being able to see that the trajectory of the Bible was always towards equality and always on the side of the marginalized. The Bible is not written by the winners. The Bible is written by the losers. It's not written by the Egyptians. It's written by the Israel slaves. It's not written by the Babylonians. It's written by the company that's kept in Babylon. It's not written by the Romans. Uh, Christianity wasn't Roman. Christianity was Jewish. It wasn't written by the Romans. It was written by the despised Jews. Everything that's written in your book is not written by those that have the power or were the greatest nation on earth. It was written by the nations and the people groups that were the most marginalized in a society. And it's showing you continually God's on the side of the marginalized. God's in the person that you've called impure. God's working with the person. So what do we say? We get together a group and, and we, we, you can't be human. You can't think differently. You can't act differently. You can't, you can't, you can't have stuff. You, you, there, there's no variety. Somehow, somehow God, think about this gang. Think about this. Th- think about this. How do you know God? How do you know God? 
Paul said, Paul said to the Gentiles, he said, the things of God were clearly made manifest. Where? They weren't reading the scriptures. Where was God clearly made manifest? Do you know? In creation, in nature. So, some of the early Christians said there's two, there's two books that you can read to know God. There's, there's the book of the Lord, the scriptures, and there's the book of creation. Now I want to ask you something. If you have a choice between the book of the Lord or the book of creation, think to yourself, don't answer out loud. Which one would you choose? Now let me pose this thought to you. Your Bible is your Bible because men wrote it down. Men preserved it and men translated it. Whatever the degree to which the revelation of the divine is here, it is filtered and mediated through the minds and hand of man. That's indisputable. There was no man involved in creation. If you want to know what the direct, straight out of the heart of God revelation is to you, you look at creation because it cannot be distorted and tainted because it wasn't written by man. So you look at the galaxies and the stars and the planets and there's incredible complexity and diversity fitting together. You come to earth, you look at the mineral kingdom and there are gems and colors and diversities existing together in one kingdom. You look at the insect kingdom, there's such diversity it's impossible to categorize. You look at the plant kingdom, think about all the flowers and all the different foods that you eat and all the different trees. Think about all the diversity that is around you. You look in the sea and think about all the sea life, all the stuff that you don't even know, all the different kinds of fish and sea creatures and sea animals that you don't even know exists. And then if you want to go down to a microscopic level, I guess they tell us we got like hundreds of critters, like microscopic bugs and stuff all over us all the time. You probably didn't know that. Probably could have had a great Sunday lunch or something without thinking about that. But What am I saying? I'm saying that Our creator at every level of creation from the vastness of the universe to the tiniest microscopic germs and bugs to the ocean to every kingdom that we know has created and has celebrated and has blessed diversity and he has offered that up to us as a template for what our creator is like and it's got just as much duality and polarity in it there's there there's feminine and masculine dimensions and aspects of all of it but when it comes to humans the crowning of god's creation the apex of it oh We can't celebrate difference. We can't, I'm sorry to use a phrase because I know it's going to trigger 
celebrate diversity. Somehow we think the God who created all that with so much diversity can't wait to take the vast majority of humanity and turn them into crispy critters for all eternity because they don't think and believe like us. They don't think like us. They don't act like us. They don't dress like us. And you can go overseas. You can go into Africa where indigenous African culture, they don't, they don't wear suits. They don't wear ties. They don't stand up and sing Western hymns and Western songs, but they do in the church. And they call it sanctified and they call it holy. Why? Because we called them impure. And we said, you have to become like us. You have to join our club, <laughs> become like us in order to fit in. And the whole thing is toxic. The whole thing is toxic and it's built on a false foundation. It is built on a foundation. Think about it, saints. Why do you have to be saved by grace? Why do you have to be saved by grace? What's so great about the grace message? Everybody preaching grace message. It's a great message, but why do you even have to be saved by grace? What's the presupposition? That you weren't good enough to get there on your own. Why are you not good enough to get there on your own? Because you're born a dirty, rotten sinner on your way to hell. So therefore you could not get in. God had to get you in by causing Jesus to die for you. The whole thing's built. The whole thing is built on calling yourself and other people impure. And when the first gospel message was preached, the first gospel crusade to the first group of Gentiles, Peter said, I've gone against the word of God and God has shown me not to call anyone impure or unclean and that he accepts people from every nation. He didn't say, you've got to pray this prayer and believe this way for God to accept you. He started out by saying, God accepts everybody. And God told me, don't call anyone unclean. Let's do this and then we'll be done. What would happen if, what group are you marginalizing in your mind? What group disgusts you? What group are you judging? You're being invited to stop calling them impure and unclean. 1 John 4, verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God. I thought it was everybody who prayed the prayer. I thought it was everybody who called on the name of Jesus. I thought it was everybody who who thought like us, but that's not what John says. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He didn't use a standard of belief. He used a standard of treatment one for another. He didn't use a standard of moral behavior. He used a standard of ethical behavior. Think about that. It wasn't about what you did. It was about how you treated people who did it differently. Because after all, Jesus said even the heathens love their own. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live 
through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So what is the love of God? What is the love of God? Where is it best demonstrated according to John? On the cross. Do you see it? You see it? Who put him on the cross? Who put him on the cross? Who nailed him? Listen to me. This is God. this is a bombshell. Christ rejecting people crucified Jesus on earth. Those who did not accept him as Christ were in fact the ones who crucified the Lord of glory. Can we agree on that? I mean, that's pretty evident. And what words, I, I, I'm confused, it's, you know, it's been a while since Easter. It's been a while since we talked about it, or maybe I'm confused, but what words did Jesus utter from the cross? Father, forgive them, watch this, they know not. The only group of people on the cross that Jesus specifically asked the Father to forgive were the Christ rejectors who knew not. The Christ rejectors, the ones who nailed him to the cross, who knew not what they were doing when they rejected him. That's the one group that he specifically said, Father, forgive them. Yes? Yes? Can you see it? So how can we tell people the one sin God will not forgive is if you reject Christ? It's right there in our face. Oh, but you see, that was then. That was then. He's been up in heaven for 2,000 years boiling in anger over these dirty, rotten sinners who are Christ rejectors. And he's going to come on a horse and lay you to the roses. And then at the end of the line, end of the line, God the Father, because you rejected Christ. That's the only sin that God will not forgive. The only sin that sends a person to hell is that they reject Christ. But somewhere in the Bible, I think, I think it might be in the book of Hebrews. Yes, I, I seem to remember it now. I, I, I think it, I think it's in the book of Hebrews chapter 13, and I think it's, I think it might be verse 8. I'm not sure. I, I can't remember the exact verse, but I, I know it's in Hebrews 13. Somewhere in there it says, Jesus Christ, the same, yesterday, today, and forever. Oh, we'll preach that when we're talking about healing. We'll preach it real good when we're talking about miracle power. We'll get you worked up into a Pentecostal frenzy. 
But how can Jesus look at those who rejected Him in His earthly ministry when He is in the throes of agony and say, Father, forgive them, they know not. And then at some point in the future, look at another group while He's in ecstasy with His Father who is love and look at another group of people who just didn't quite get it right. They didn't get the information right. They didn't worship it right. They didn't call it the right name or the right thing or whatever. And somehow look at them and say, depart from me, I never knew you. It makes no sense. See, what if our view of the atonement is too small? I'm tired of people coming at me and saying, you don't believe in the blood of Jesus. No, the blood that I believe in is ten times more is, is is way more powerful than the blood that you believe in because your blood offers a limited atonement for those who get it right. And what I'm saying is, he's the atoning sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the entire world. That God was recon- That God in Christ was reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's trespasses against them. That what God has cleansed, we should not call impure or unclean. Then you cannot help but open your heart to those that are not like you. To those that don't believe like you. You cannot help but open your own heart to your own self. Quit fighting with yourself. Quit condemning yourself. Quit putting yourself down. Quit fighting with other people, trying to get them to think like you. Somehow, what, the belief is going to... Really? 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 The belief is what makes the difference. So we got to get it right. All right. So it shocks them when you say, no, actually, my Jesus is bigger than your Jesus. Let me put, let me do this, alright? Who was more powerful? Adam or Christ? Paul says in Romans chapter 5, if by the disobedience of the one, much more, by the disobedience of Adam, how much more by the obedience of Christ? Just go into Romans 5 and look how many times he says Christ is much more than Adam. How come you don't have to believe in Adam to go to hell? Well, brother, you know, God gives you a choice. And God gives people a choice whether or not they'll believe in Jesus. Okay, so God didn't give us a choice at Adam. So now our blood is tainted because we are born in sin. Which means the power of the blood of Adam infected the entire human race. And God gave us no choice to perish. We just perish because of who we are. We just perish because of how we're born. But we didn't have to. We weren't there when he ate of the tree. We don't know. Maybe who knows? You think it's an apple. The early Christians thought it was a grape. And so did the temperance movement. But anyway. (laughs) 
You don't have to believe in Adam to perish. But you have to believe in Christ to be saved. So how is it the blood of Adam can infect everybody and God doesn't give you a choice for perishing, but somehow the blood of Christ doesn't affect everybody? And you have to believe it in order for it to take effect. So who is more powerful? Adam or Christ? If you're intellectually honest, if you believe the standard traditional teaching of the evangelical church, if you're intellectually honest, at least say, yes, Adam was more powerful than Christ. Because his fall was irresistible. Conquered the entire human race, but Christ's blood can be resisted. What God has cleansed, do not let anyone call him pure. Thank you. Let's stand up. We cannot pretend to be a place of refuge for people. We cannot pretend to offer people something that will promote their well-being and their health. We cannot pretend to be a community that says we confess a God who is love and then be discriminant about who we receive and allow to experience the reality of God. We can't be discriminant and say, well, these vessels can come into the temple because they're pure, but these vessels over here, they can't. They can sit in the back, they could listen, but until they get their shit together, we can't deal with them. <laughs> Somebody said, oh, I was going to send this to my Christian friend, and he had to go and cuss. <laughs> now they won't receive anything he said. He just defiled the whole message. Religion makes you crazy. Religion makes you crazy. Shuts, closes off your heart from other people. Shuts down your critical thinking. Turns you on yourself. Turns you on your fellow human beings. Let's lift our hands. Holy Spirit, I just invite your presence once again to move freely among us. Lord, I pray that there will be a spiritual healing that takes place. Father, that there will be a spiritual healing that will take place in our lives. That we will be able to dump toxic and untrue and unreal ideals, idols, values, and beliefs about our Creator. And about this God that John talks about, who is love. <laughs> Father, I ask for the healing presence of Christ to penetrate our minds and hearts. And do its work. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a good afternoon.